Hey, this is Brian. This is a podcast for Mid-City Vineyard. Thanks for checking us out. My wife, Christy, and I pastor Mid-City Vineyard, which is located right in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, you can check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, or online, midcityvineyard.org. This week, we celebrated Palm Sunday together. And we want to remind you that we will be celebrating Easter together this coming Sunday, but we will not be at our regular place of worship. We will be worshiping out on the bayou on Jeff Davis across the street from the post office underneath the big oak tree. So if you're in the neighborhood, if you want to check things out, 9.30 a.m. Easter Sunday morning, and then after we'll be staying out there for a picnic together. On Palm Sunday this past week, we were looking at the passage in Luke when Jesus comes down the mountain, the Mount of Olives, on a donkey as he makes his way to the great city of Jerusalem. We look into what the people might have been thinking and experiencing at that time and how we play into that story even today. So we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for checking us out. Much peace to you and to yours. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 28, uh, this is how Luke writes this part of the narrative. He says, after Jesus had uh, said some things earlier, he said he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached uh, Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village up ahead of you. And as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied right there, uh, which no one has ever ridden. It says, I want you to untie the colt and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying this colt? Say, the Lord needs it. Because apparently that will work. (laughs) So I was was wrapping my head around this this week. Like, why are you untying that? Well, the Lord needs it. Oh, well, of course, the Lord needs it. Um, Whoever that might be, uh, I would think that that person would say. But that's what he told them to do. And so they went on ahead and they found the colt. Just like he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Of course he does. And so they brought it to Jesus. Apparently the owner was okay with it. And they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks and their garments out on the road. And when he came near the place where the where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that he had done. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, you need to rebuke these disciples. And Jesus says, Well, I tell you that if they keep quiet, then the stones will actually cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He began to weep over it. Oh, Jerusalem, if you had known, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies are going to build an embankment against you. They'll encircle and hem you in from every side. They'll dash you to the ground. You children within the walls, they won't leave any stone unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
It's an amazing site, actually. Um, you know, we're planning a trip next year to Israel for, for anyone. We're going to actually uh, partner up with the Vineyard Church in Kenner. And, and if you have an opportunity to go on that trip, uh, I would encourage you to do so. I had a chance to go just a few years ago, and it's, it's an amazing site, really, to stand on the Mount of Olives and, and look over the, the Kidron Valley, and you can see the, the, the old city, Jerusalem. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And, and, and if you could picture just in your mind, you know, this, this mountain that comes down. Sorry, John. I, wanna, I, I feel like I want to do that for you. But if you... <laughs> But if you could imagine this mountain that just comes down, goes, goes deep into this valley, and as it rises out of the valley, there you see this, this beautiful, gorgeous city. And, and it says that Jesus began to ride down the Mount of Olives. He goes down through the valley. He's coming up, and, and the people just run to yeah. gather. Uh, you know, because the people that are running, the people that are gathering, they're, they're filled with anticipation. They are filled with incredible hope. And we wonder, okay, well, what, what's going on here? Why, why are they filled with anticipation? Why are, they, why are they filled with hope? It's important for us, and, and I think this is beautiful leading up to Easter here. It's important for us to really wrap our minds around the story that Jesus is a part of. You know, because the Jesus story is not the story. The Jesus story is part of the larger story that is actually taking place. And... Jesus' death does impact us today. It impacted the people of that day. It, Jesus' death impacted the people uh, that lived even before Jesus. But the Jesus story cannot be understood in and of itself. It has to be understood in the, in the, in the larger context. Because the story of Jesus, you might think of it like this. I, I love what uh, N.T. Wright does when, when he talks about the Jesus story. But he uses the... the um, he uses the different parts of, of music. He says that, that the Jesus story is kind of the melody line that, that we are singing, you know, that, that, that we're paying attention to. The melody line is, is how you really understand how the song goes. That's where the words are, and that's the main melody that, that we actually sing. He says, but there are other parts. You know, there are bass parts, and there are tenor parts, and soprano parts, and alto parts, and, and there are all these parts that make up good music. Jesus is the melody line that we sing. But for centuries, uh, since, uh, for more than centuries, for millennia now, people have been telling the story of Jesus in the context of the larger story. Actually, Christians have never tired of rehearsing the story over and over and over and over and over again, which is very important so we don't forget the story. Otherwise, we get, we get sidetracked. We, 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 we grab onto one little thing. Oh, this is why Jesus died, or this is why Jesus came, or this is what, you know, and we grab onto one little thing and we miss the larger parts of the larger story. If we had to use the parts, though, we would say that the, the main story starts. It starts in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the baseline. It's the ground level. It's, it's what everything else is built upon. Jesus understood the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very confusing to us. Um, just a matter of fact, today I, I was reading this one passage in the book of Zechariah because of a book I was reading, and I, I thought, oh, I want to go. They, they referred to the Zechariah chapter 10, or maybe, maybe it was chapter 10. But anyway, um, I said, oh, check this verse out. And so I went, because the verse was so beautiful and so exciting about the coming of Christ. And so I read the verse. I thought, oh, it's so exciting. And then I read the rest of the verses before that verse, and they were awful. I mean, it was all about. Um, um, 
children being, being uh, uh, cities being overrun and children being thrashed and women being raped. And I mean, it was just, it was awful. It was like, and at the end of it, it said something about Jesus. And it was like, well, that's, that's at least good. Um, the Old Testament is so confusing. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Jesus understood the Old Testament. The disciples eventually understood the Old Testament. Ultimately, if I could say to you, because unless you want to go read Genesis through Malachi tonight, which I encourage you to do um, if you get a chance right before, but but you're probably not going to do that. The story of the Old Testament, bare bones, is ultimately the story about how God relates to human beings and ultimately how human beings relate to God. The Old Testament ultimately you will see this. You have to pay attention, but it weaves its way all the way through. The Old Testament is a story about how God loves his creation, how God loves all of creation, how God loves humanity, how God loves the planet, how God loves the galaxies, how God loves all of creation. The Old Testament is a story about how God desires to be with his creation. The Old Testament is a story about how God ultimately is working his way to redeeming and reconciling and reclaiming all of creation to himself. It's a story of love. It's a story of beauty. And he understands, and we understand, but in the Old Testament, God's creation is living under the tyranny of evil. It is living under oppression. That's what happened to God's creation. God's creation is in trouble. And God is coming to the creation and restoring it and reconciling it. That's what God is ultimately doing. In the Old Testament, God chooses a people Keep in mind, when you read the scripture, when you read the Old Testament, you're reading about the Hebrew people. You're reading about the people of Israel. And if you are like me, sometimes when you read it, you start to get this very narrow view that that's all that was happening at the time. Like there was God and there, was, there were these, these Israelite people and those, those are the, the only important elements. But you have to understand that during the time that this is being written, these scriptures are being written. The Assyrians are running like crazy people, uh, just dominating the world. The Babylonians are, are, are dominating uh, their part of the world. The, the Egyptians are dominating their part of the world. I mean, there are, there are major people groups that are, that are all around the planet, and everybody's doing their own thing, including the Hebrews at the top. And God, is, it, God comes to this place, and it's like, the people, the creation, all the people that I love, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Israelites, all these people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Philistines, the otherites, all these people are, they don't really know what I'm like. They don't understand what I look like. They don't understand who I am and what I am about. And so he says, I'm going to take this group of people, these Hebrew people, and I'm going to reveal myself more fully to these people so that they can go about reflecting me so that everyone can understand who I am and what I'm about. But then the Hebrew people, these Israelites, they, they get it wrong because they just they swim in the water of, of the cultures all around them and they end up doing their own things. And so God's always trying to reveal himself, reveal himself, reveal himself, reveal himself. Jesus knows this. The disciples are coming to know this. God never abandons his plan. His plan all along is to reveal himself more fully to all of creation. And so what happens is when God comes, he decides to come in person himself. He comes in the person of Jesus. And if you can wrap your head around this, it's like God is, is, is saying, you know what? Here we go. Now we're going to reveal ourselves more fully. And when, when I get there, 
people will look and they will say, oh my goodness, this is what God looks like. And see, right now, because the scriptures, especially Old Testament scriptures, are kind of wacky and they're incredibly violent and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on and I think that there are um, lots of reasons for that. But ultimately, when God comes to the planet, when God reveals himself on the planet, it's to say, listen, your, your understanding of me is skewed. Your understanding of how I treat people is skewed. Your understanding of my mercy is skewed. Your understanding of my grace is skewed. Your understanding of my love is skewed. Matter of fact, your understanding of how the world works is skewed. And so I'm going to come and show you. I'm going to come show you what I'm about. I'm going to come show you what my, my kingdom is about. I'm going to come show you what my way of life is about. And I'm going to invite you to get in on it. That's what I'm doing. I, I, like, there's, this, there's this beautiful flow that is taking place between Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's, it's this amazing flow, this amazing dance that's always taking place that's filled with love and mercy and beauty and grace and kindness and gentleness and, and, and all of these things that are good and wonderful and beautiful. And I, Jesus, inviting in, am inviting you in to that flow to be a part of that life. This rat race that you're running always trying to get more power over the other person or where you're always trying to get your next fix or where you're always trying to to one-up the next thing or or to to climb that ladder to do those things all of that it's part of a system that is doomed for destruction but i've got a system that's better i've got a system that is wonderful and beautiful i'm I'm gonna invite you into that but you gotta watch because watch watch how i do this you're gonna see I'm coming to set the world right. I'm coming to set all these things that are wrong right. That is what I am coming to do. And I'm going to do it by becoming a human being and living it out right in front of you. I'll die a human death at the hands of human beings as humanity pours out all of humanity. And and always keep this in mind. Humanity is what poured out its wrath against Jesus. Humanity is the one that killed God. Humanity pours out its evil and its wrath out on Jesus, and Jesus takes it and absorbs it and will go to the cross. Isaiah chapter 40 is one of the servant texts in the, in the Old Testament scripture. Isaiah, I said 40, chapter 50 is what I meant. Verses 4 through 9 says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mocking and the spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. So who will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let this person confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. The suffering servant comes and says, I give myself. I give myself. I'm going to overturn the whole system. This is what I'm going to do. This is, this is how Jesus understands his story in the context of the larger story, because the larger story is the story of the Israelites. 
The Israelites, we are connected to them. That's why we can't forget that story, because for forever, humanity has been looking for restoration. Forever, humanity has been looking to be reclaimed. For forever, humanity has been looking to be set free and to be brought back in to the story of God. And that's what Jesus is coming to do. And then we have a part, our part. We're like, we're like the harmony. You know, if Jesus is the melody line, that's, we're, the, we're the harmony right here. The part about our, our own world, the part about our own community right here and now. The key is that we don't use the baseline of the Old Testament as a way of escaping our own stuff. Because our story, again, is not separate from the story of that world. So here's what happens to me. Maybe not to you. Maybe probably to you. I look back on the old story, the Old Testament, and I, I put that in a category. Then I put the Jesus story in a category, and then I put my life in a category. And when we do that, we are, we are taking the pieces of the story, and we're, we're just kind of, we're, we're not allowing them to connect to one another. When we allow the story, the whole story, to connect to one another, it gives our life trajectory. It gives our life greater understanding. It gives our faith greater substance. Because it's not a story, it is the story. And so we are called to understand it in the framework within our own world. And here's how it works. We understand that things were crap, and then we understand that Jesus came to set things right, and then we say things, and we even talked about this last week, the proclamation of the gospel and how Jesus has set things right, how Jesus is in the process of setting things right, and we believe that, we understand that, and yet at the same time, we look at our world, and what do we see? Well, it's a mess. I mean, the whole global village is in chaos. We look at things like what happened in Syria this week. And we look at, I mean, there are literally people out there who have no regard for human life. I mean, this, you know, we're very sheltered from this. But the reality is this stuff is happening in the world that we live in. And that's, that happens on, on the grand scale. But we just look in our own society. I mean, there are literally today, and, and in these, there are hurricanes and tornadoes that destroy homes and destroy cities. There are school shootings that destroy families and destroy communities. There are missile crises all over the place. There's poverty. There is crime. I mean, today, uh, there was a man killed uh, uh, seven blocks from here on South Scott. I mean, just in, in broad daylight. I mean, th this stuff is running rampant. There's divorce. There is heartache. There is addiction. I mean, there, let's face it, the world is still in chaos. And as people of faith, we come around and we say, but God is fixing it. God is making it right. There is a new reality. And yes, there is. And at the same time, it takes much faith and hope to live into it. But I want to say to you, that is the invitation. The invitation is to live into it, even in the context in which we live. Part of the challenge is to take the story that we're living and to integrate it and to live it into the Jesus story, which is our story. And it's a challenge because it's not easy. You see, the world is going on, society, culture is going on within, like we're invited within the music 
that Jesus is playing, but the whole world is inviting us to live according to a different beat, right? I mean, we're, we're, being, we're being always tempted and being asked to live according to something different. But here's what I think is happening on that Palm Sunday. Jesus comes down the mountain. He's on a donkey, which, by the way, maybe next year we'll do a whole message on a donkey and not a horse, <laughs> which is very fascinating. But he's on a donkey, and he's coming down the mountain, and people are throwing their cloaks. Blessed be the king. Blessed be the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I assume that these people are just like me because they're people. I am someone who is filled with faith and doubt all at the same time. I am someone who is filled with hope and despair all at the same time. So if it's me on that particular day, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew, I'm, I'm an Israelite, I'm, I've, been, I've been moving in this direction, and I know that this guy might be the one I've been waiting for. I'm throwing my cloak down, and there's a part of me saying, blessed are you, Jesus, and there's another part of me that's saying, man, I hope this guy really is the guy. I really hope this is the guy. So when I come to throw down my cloak, and I, I believe that this is how people were, they are filled with anticipation and they are filled with frustration because they are being dominated by the Romans. They are filled with hope that this might work out in their favor, and they are filled with despair because there have been other people who claim to be the Messiah in the past who got themselves killed, and they never came back from the dead. They are filled with faith. They are filled with doubt. They are filled with peace that only goes so far because they are also filled with anxiety. And I find that that's what this, this particular week is very much about. That's why the church so often reflects, you know, the, the church calendar and Lent as a time of death preparing for life and Holy Week as a week where we, where we move about and we observe the life of Jesus, understanding that, that this, this, is a, this is a very sacred time and moment, and yet we're filled with faith and hope for what is to come, and we're filled with doubt at the same time, and I think these things work together. Because I have faith that Jesus is fixing the world. And then I open up Facebook, and a man was killed six blocks from here three hours ago. And I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So how do we live into Jesus? This is what I think we do. We take our stuff. We take our pain. We take our grief. We take our place in this world we take where you know our we take our current struggle with unemployment or we take our poverty we take our family sorrows we take our addiction we take whatever it is and tonight and we're this is going to be a very active thing that we're going to do but you're going to take a take a stick it note and pass them around take one pass them around that's what we'll do yeah take one pass it around take one pass around And we take our stuff and we acknowledge it. I think something that drives me crazier than anything is when, for whatever reason, Christians feel like in order to have faith, you have to ignore the rest of life. And if there are Christians that want to do that, then they need to do that. But I can't do that. I, can, I cannot live that way anymore because 
I just I think that life is, is it's just happening all around us. And so we acknowledge the junk. I think we have to acknowledge the junk. I told you last week, I think faith and doubt go hand in hand. And, and our desire is that this would be a community where you can come in one week and just be like, you know what, I think this week I just simply became an atheist. <laughs> and I'll, I'll probably say to you, yeah, yeah, me too, because that happens to me regularly. But you know what? It's the kind of thing where we say, you know what, faith and doubt go together and we keep working this. That's where the good questions come in. And I think that's where the Spirit of God meets us in very powerful ways. We take our stuff, we acknowledge it. And then tonight, what we're going to do is, as an act of movement, as an act of faith, we bring it to the table with us. Now, I'm going to have you write it down on a piece of paper, for starters here. But just like the crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem the week before his death, and they came with all their stuff, so we come with our stuff. And we make our stuff part of his stuff, and we integrate it into the story. And this is, this is what happens. And here's my hope. And this leads us to Easter. Because as we approach Jesus, there is, a, there is a sense of hope. See, when I when I meditate on personally, I'm talking for me personally, when I meditate on the Jesus story, when when I, I when I meditate on this understanding that Jesus actually defeated darkness and evil and death on the cross through death, through resurrection. When I meditate on that, it begins to fill me, no matter where my circumstances are, it begins to fill me with a sense of this is not the end. Like there is hope. And so when we're filled with that sense of hope, there's this thing that happens that just maybe somehow Jesus will be able to do something with whatever I write on the paper. And for some in the room tonight, that, that that might be that might be the biggest leap. And I, I know that. And I would encourage you, I would say, well then maybe maybe tonight and, and meditating on it this week, take the leap. Because maybe Jesus is able to take that and just somehow do something with it. I believe that God's present in these situations, whatever they are. And I think it looks different in every one of our lives. We try to make it cookie cutter a lot of times in the church, and it's just flat out not. It's just there's no cookie cutter for this thing, how the Spirit works in our lives. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm, I'm going to pick up the guitar, and I'm going to give you just some, a, a few moments as you, as you sit in your seat. And you might really, some of you might need to really think on this, but... Where are your hang-ups? Where are your griefs? What are your sorrows? What's wrong in the world? Or what's wrong, more specifically, in your world? Where do you need Jesus to show up? What do you, what do you need? I mean, and, and, and I think needs just, just an okie-dokie word because sometimes it's, sometimes it's like, God, if you don't show up, this, this is the thing that just might kill me. This is the thing that could literally derail me, or what I think could derail me. Griefs, sorrows, what's wrong in your world? And I, I invite you just to meditate on this with the Spirit of God, and to write it down. And then I will, um, after a, a few minutes there, then we'll, we'll move into communion together. And I'll walk us, I will walk us through that at that time.